All right, well, we've spent the last uh, two weeks talking about unity in the local church and specifically the why, um, how it is that it glorifies God when we are committed to one another in the local church. So today we want to spend a little bit of time considering how it is that God intends to bring about unity. So, okay, unity is important. Uh, It glorifies God, but we should be asking, well, then what now do we do? The life of our church, really of any church, should be evidently supernatural. Now, what do we mean by evidently supernatural? Well, when people look in on our church, they should see something supernatural in the depth and breadth of our relationships. They should see something that's unusual, something unique, something that can't be explained through uh, purely natural means, something that's really beyond the ordinary. Now, God has revealed his ordinary means for accomplishing the extraordinary. So have you considered that God accomplishes the most extraordinary things through some of the most ordinary means? Now, most of us like a good story, maybe a good uh, movie to entertain us, and we're often bored with the commonplace, and so we become captivated by that, which is uh, extraordinary. Think about the success of the Marvel comic films, right? Um, But God has ordained that his church be built brick by brick through the ordinary means of preaching and prayer. And those are the two things that we're going to spend our time uh, looking at today. So preaching is one of the ordinary means uh, of supernatural grace for God's church. So think about Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So according to this verse, what is the source or cause of saving faith? Hearing God's word, exactly. And, and we're tempted to say, wait a second, Paul, this is, you know, this is the 21st century. You have no idea what we're up against these days in the modern church. We, uh, we've got to compete with the world's level of entertainment. Surely we need better sound systems and better music, maybe some U2 or George Strait covers on Sunday morning. Uh, Better technology, bigger screens, plusher pews, right, to kind of woo the world. And Paul says, nope, the word of God will do. So supernatural faith comes from the ordinary means of faithfully preaching God's word. And we'll look at that a little bit more. The other means of grace, as I mentioned, that we want to look at this morning is prayer. Uh, Jesus told us in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So another way we see God do the supernatural work in our church is to approach him in prayer, knowing that in Christ, God hears our prayer. Prayers of praise, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, and prayers of petition. So we want to spend our time this morning looking at each of these in turn. How can we be part of a community in this church with supernatural unity? and primarily as we hear God's word and pray. So let's start with the preaching of God's word. The fact that preaching is God's means to accomplish the supernatural shouldn't come as a surprise to us. After all, God has always created people by his word. Can anyone think of a biblical example of the creative power of God's word? Right out, right off the bat, right? Yep, Genesis one. Okay. Yep. Yep. Good. 
Yes. You may think of God creating a people out of giving them his law on Mount Sinai, right? And that was really the defining moment of the nation of Israel was thou shalt not and so forth. Uh, One of the maybe more poignant examples is in Ezekiel 37. If you want to turn there, uh, Ezekiel 37 starting in verse 7. One of the Old Testament prophets. Your heading there may read something like the valley of dried bones. As if, as if bones weren't dead enough, they have to be dry to drive home the point, right? So Ezekiel 37, verse 7. So I prophesied, Ezekiel, as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them. It's the opposite of decomposition, right? Uh, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. God's word spoken by Ezekiel is what brings his people to life, which is exactly what we see in the New Testament, as some have already referenced it. Jesus, think John 2, the word made flesh, taught God's people. Uh, Turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 38, if you want to look there. Mark 1, verse 38. I'll read read picking up in 35, um, but look for the emphasis on verse 38. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. So the purpose statement of Jesus' ministry, preaching. Think about that for a minute. The Word who became flesh, right? God as man, and his purpose is to preach. Surely there's something more supernatural that could be done uh, to establish his kingdom, but Jesus came preaching the good news. Um, And it goes on. Peter's preaching of the gospel in Acts is what first ignites the church, and the apostles' faithful teaching sustains it. Uh, Acts 6, 7, if you want to flip over to that. We won't be doing a ton of bouncing around, but early on I wanted to highlight some of these passages. So Acts chapter 6. Acts 6, 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So what what does this verse say about the relationship between the word of God and making disciples? Yeah, the disciples multiplied as what happened? Mm -hmm. So the word of God, right? The active agent in making disciples. So here's the takeaway. God's word is central. It is primary to the identity of his people from ancient times till today. Christianity is not primarily about having a spiritual experience 
uh, or even about good community or about acts of service, though it certainly involves these things. But it is first and foremost a message, a message of good news that can be supported by historical fact. Think 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. That is the good news of the gospel. And preaching this message is the source of our life as a church and eternal life for each one of us. But the reality is, right, that you can have preaching and see nothing uh, supernatural as a result. And part of that reason is that not all preaching is faithful. Just because a preacher cracks his Bible or quotes a passage of Scripture doesn't mean he's faithfully explaining or applying the Word of God. Sadly, it's the case. Um, But the reality is also that just as some preachers are not faithful preachers, and here's where this hits home for us, it's also true that not all people are faithful listeners. Just think of all those people who listened to Jesus himself and then went away unchanged. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what kind of preaching should be the norm in local churches, and then specifically our responsibility, what happens when the preaching intersects with the community of God's people, okay? So what kind of preaching will supernaturally create and sustain God's people? In a word, preaching that is expositional, okay? Preaching that exposes a passage of Scripture to us. So when we talk about an expositional sermon um, or expository preaching, we mean that it's designed to explain a particular passage of Scripture so that the main point of the sermon is the main point of the passage. You may have heard it described that way. The alternative to this is called topical preaching, right? Where the preacher determines the primary point he wants to communicate in the sermon, and then he may or may not use passages of Scripture to support that point. Now, topical preaching is it's in no way bad, right? I mean, we have topical sermons at UBC uh, on occasion, but what might be some of the drawbacks to uh, a steady diet of topical sermons? What might be some of the, the downsides to maybe too heavy a dose or emphasis of topical preaching. Okay. Yeah, so it may be, may be limited by what he knows or doesn't know, or just the selection of the topic may be guided by that particular person's desires. It's good. <clears throat> yeah. So focusing on those desires... Uh, we neglect God's, which is certainly a dangerous place to be. What else? Okay, what do you, yeah, how so? Yeah. Okay. Right. So there's a lack of continuity um, with topical sermons. I'm repeating your answers for the sake of recording. <laughs> Right, good. 
So there can be neglect of uh, large portions of God's word when we, when we only preach topically. And, you know, I would add that can be intentional or unintentional, right? I mean, it may be, it may be you know, uh, something that the, the preacher is wanting to uh, avoid for certain reasons, but it may just be, as, as David pointed out earlier, it may just be that, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, we have our certain things that we have knowledge about and we avoid those things that we don't. We don't know what we don't know, right? Kind of the holes in our blind spots, so to speak. Anything else with regards to maybe some of the dangers of a uh, heavy topical sermon dose? Mm. Yeah. So Colby pointed out that it can be exhausting for the preacher to kind of have to come up with something every week or whatever else, and then it ultimately can deny the sufficiency of the whole counsel of God's word. Yeah, so there's a question of calling <clears throat> the faithfulness of the pastor. Okay, good. So the counter to that would be, as we mentioned, um, expository or expositional preaching. So preaching that is predominantly expositional, we hope to show here, will grow a congregation better and w- with more lasting results. Um, and to kind of summarize a lot of what was already said, you know, that uh, the, the reason for this is because as a preacher preaches expositionally, moving through successive passages of Scripture week after week, the congregation better understands Scripture in its overarching context, right? So let me give you kind of three, and they may be in your handouts, but let's look at three specific advantages of expositional preaching. Those may not be in there, actually. Um, When a pastor preaches through a series of passages basing each sermon on the main point of the passage of Scripture rather than a topic, God's Word sets the agenda for the sermon. So that's the first point. God's Word sets the agenda for the sermon. So very practically, expositional preaching forces a preacher to address verses that he may be uncomfortable with or maybe don't fit neatly into his theological framework, right? So God's word sets the agenda for the sermon. Uh, Second, expositional preaching is a better way of teaching the Bible because when a pastor preaches a passage of Scripture in its context, uh, taking the point of the passage Uh, as the point of the message, he and the congregation often hear from God things they did not know when the pastor began to study the passage. And this was kind of alluded to in multiple ways by each of you. Um, So 
both the, the preacher and the congregation often hear from God things that they did not know before, right? I mean, a topical-based sermon is kind of driven on an already in, in, implicit knowledge or understanding of something. We need to address this because I see things this way, right? Whereas expositional preaching is God sees reality this way and let's conform uh, to that. And then lastly, expositional preaching teaches a congregation how to read and study the Bible for themselves. So expositional preaching is instructive. When the sermon week after week teaches the congregation to be faithful explainers and appliers of God's word, the Bible then seeps into every aspect of life together. So we're, we're really to model, right? I mean, we, we don't send or under, sit under expositional preaching week in, week out so that we can then go out and function topically with our Bible studies. Again, not that there's anything inappropriate with that, but we should be learning how to read and uh, interpret and, uh, and apply the Bible as we see it modeled for us week in and week out. Okay, so if we just stop at expositional preaching, though, we really haven't traced uh, all that preaching does in a church because preaching isn't just exposition of God's word. It's God's word for or plus God's people. Uh, So what happens when God's word intersects with God's people? Okay, and we'll look at kind of two main two main ways that God's word intersects with God's people. The first is application. Most obviously, we must apply God's word. Now, consider the weight of responsibility that rests on our shoulders, right? We, those of us who are privileged to hear gospel-centered preaching each and every week, and I pray that on the last day, those of us in this church will look back and see the fruit of preaching in our lives, and maybe even before then, maybe if you've been sitting under exhibitional preaching for some time, you can already see the fruit of that. But what are, what are some practical ways some practical things that you can do to be a better hearer and applier of God's preached word. What are some practical ways maybe that you, that you do or that, you're, that you are aware of? So reading that you've got a sermon card for a reason, right? Uh, you got a, you got an opportunity to read through that in preparation before Sunday morning. Great. Use it, yeah. Yep, good. Set out to use it. Okay, great. So discussing uh, with others, good. And that's, that's really, uh, you know, a good point and one that we want to emphasize um, is that for preaching to be uh, setting the foundation for our, our unity, we, we have to think in terms of uh, corporate nature, right? So a good question to consider is, are you working in a faithful, humble way to help apply the truth you receive to the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah. Right, as you mentioned, as yep, apply it and share it with what with one another. This, the follow-up question to that is: Do you know your life well enough, and do you know others well enough that you can help them apply a sermon in ways that they maybe have not thought of? So, if, just a few ideas uh, of how we might do this. One, uh, talk after the service, maybe over lunch about the sermon. Um, just you know, be intentional. Ask. A great question is, how did the sermon land on you today? You can ask that as you're walking out of the doors or gathering around 
the courtyard or if you gather over a meal on a Sunday with a, with a brother or sister in Christ. Um, you can, we hopefully are fleshing out application points in life group. That's one of the reasons that we don't you know, do a book study or a separate Bible study in life groups. It gives us the opportunity to take the word of God and to apply it to our lives. And so another good reason to gather together with your life groups. Uh, as Veronica mentioned, hopefully you're getting together with others in discipling relationships. Um, with the guys that I, that I meet with, we, you know, again, instead of having a separate book study, not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but sometimes it feels like you're drinking for someone, from so many different fire hydrants uh, that it can be help to kinda helpful to narrow your focus. So maybe spend your time in your discipling relationships just, you know, looking over your notes and looking to apply uh, the sermon in various ways. Also, family devotions is another great way to, to maybe read the sermon ahead of time or, uh, or to talk about the application afterwards. And, you know, it can be helpful to maybe pick out one or two things each, each week. You don't have to try to, you know, uh, apply the entire sermon, you know, in, in the next six days before you hear the next sermon. So maybe pick out one or two points of application that you aim to apply and then mention it. Mention it to somebody else, you know, for accountability and just for waste. I, you know, for, for me, I, I lack creativity. I have a hard time sometimes taking, okay, here's one. I know what the Word of God says. How do I actually make this, you know, a reality in my life? So it's helpful to have other people speak into that. Um, and that's just another example of how the, the body of Christ functions uh, together. So God gives us a feast each week um, in the sermon, and we honor him not simply by admiring it, as Amber said, by, but by devouring it with eagerness and and by sharing it with, uh, sharing this feast with others, okay? So application, that's the first point. The second point is that of authority, okay? And this is a kind of an interesting point um, when you think about unity in preaching, but preaching in a church should explain, interpret, and apply scripture, okay? So in, in the most, you know, basic sense, the authority rests on scripture. But we know that as sinful human, human beings, um, and just finite human beings. We can err in explaining and interpreting and implying inerrant scripture. But preaching in the context of the church goes beyond that. You see, preaching in a church is backed by the united testimony of an entire community of Christians. Yes, each with their own sins, but each indwelt by God's life-giving spirit. So when the church functions as it should, then the words preached on Sunday are tacitly confirmed both by the plurality of elders and ultimately by the congregation at large. So if a preacher begins to preach what the congregation understands to be contrary to Scripture, then the members have a duty to act, okay? This doesn't mean that we're the doctrine police, but what this does mean is that if there's a particularly maybe difficult topic and the preacher's preaching through it, we can have confidence that it's interpreted rightly and explained well and applied well by the fact that the other 600-plus members in the congregation are affirming that maybe they have a clear sight on that and you may have in that given moment. And then the plurality, plurality of elders affirming this, you know, tacitly helps to kind of undergird the appropriateness of, of that particular sermon and that particular uh, message, okay? So the congregation in this sense is the final authority on such doctrinal matters. And we see this in Galatians 1 when Paul charges the church at large to demand true preaching. He says, what you're hearing is not the gospel and you should know better and call it out. And then uh, also, you know, in 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul warns 
Timothy, that some may begin to demand false teaching. So that's kind of the flip side of the coin. The congregation can get it wrong. It doesn't mean that the congregation's right all the time, right? Um, The congregation can get it wrong. Um, But we can have extra confidence in the truth of what we hear preached in a healthy church because it is backed by the testimony of a community of Christians, okay? So the more you know the community of your church, the more you can trust its preaching. Have you thought about that, right? Um, the more confidence you have, the more, the more you know your elders and your pastors and then your fellow church members, the more confidence you have in the, uh, in the preaching that you're hearing week in and week out. So in that sense, good preaching uh, fuels good community. Okay? So we can be part of the supernatural community of the local church through preaching as we listen to good preaching, as we apply that preaching to ourselves and others, and as we support good preaching. But it also happens through prayer, okay? And that's where we'll turn our attention uh, for the rest of our time this morning. Uh, Before we turn to prayer, though, any questions or comments about preaching as a foundation for supernatural unity? Wes was appreciating the last point about um, that knowing one another helps build our trust in the, in the preaching that we're hearing week in and week out. All right, well, let's, let's focus our attention uh, on prayer as a foundation for unity. And specifically, let's kind of narrow our focus here uh, at first uh, as it pertains to corporate prayer, okay? So I think, I think we all understand that prayer is important in the life of a Christian, but I think often when we think about prayer, the first thing, uh, that we probably envision is is private prayer. So we have images of of you know of Daniel praying uh, alone in his home before an open window, or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, or maybe Martin Luther rising at 4 a.m. to pray in solitude for hours before each day begins. Um, but the Bible also clearly calls on Christians to pray together. So think of the language of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6: "Our Father who art in heaven." hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So when Jesus modeled for us how to pray, he put it in a form that commends it even more for our use together as a body than for private use. So one of the primary ways that we pray as church members is when we gather corporately. So let's look at why corporate or congregational prayer is so important. Okay? So why is corporate prayer important? Well, the first reason is that God uses our prayer together to advance his kingdom. Okay? We pray together quite simply because we need to. We pray out of need because we need God to act just like we see in the book of Acts. So there, the early church had a number of obstacles to overcome, including persecution, yet it continued to expand. So in Acts 4, we read about Peter and John, how they were released from jail, right? And the church gathers to hear their report. Now, you might think with their leaders just recently released from prison, maybe the people would just want to kind of keep their social distance and, uh, you know, pray on their own rather than risk coming together. But corporate prayer was important enough that the believers gathered together to pray, praising God for his sovereignty and asking 
for boldness in the face of threats. Thus Luke tells us in Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So the connection is their corporate prayer led to boldly proclaiming in the face of persecution, boldly proclaiming the word of God. Uh, But this is not limited to the particular circumstances of the early church, right? I mean, throughout history, if you've read any history of of revival um, taking place among God's people, um, it almost is is especially active when people have committed to join together to pray. So God uses our prayer together to advance his kingdom. The second point is that God is glorified uh, through the unity of our prayers. So not just our prayers individually, but our prayers unified glorifies God, right? We've heard in the previous two weeks from Wes about how uh, our unity puts on display uh, the glory of God. And that's why, you know, in Ephesians 4, Paul calls on the entire church to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And praying together is one way that we satisfy this command by visibly uniting together as God's people to pray, okay? So the unity we demonstrate when we seek God together in prayer is particularly striking, Two things to note specifically about that. First, prayer together is a means of God's grace in which we grow spiritually as we hear others commit to prayer. And then secondly, corporate prayer can also serve as a powerful witness to non-Christians who see the love and commitment that Christians have for one another in their prayers. Sometimes I think we're, uh, as Christians, I think we're hesitant to kind of display certain things that we do as Christians to the world because we think it's going to look weird, but to some degree, isn't that the point? I mean, if we're not different, if someone from the world doesn't look at our gathering and go, I don't get it, right? Uh, then maybe we are too much like the world. So I think in prayer, that's, I mean, for a, non, for a non-believer, that is an unnatural thing, and especially to see a, a group of people praying and lifting one singular voice to God, uh, I think is, com- is particularly compelling. The third thing about corporate prayer, prayer is that it unites us. So not only is corporate prayer, prayer benefited by our unity, it actually helps to cultivate unity, right? So when we pray together, we are in really specific ways leaving behind our own inwardly focused desires and instead focusing on God and others. Uh, a great example of this are our Sunday evening services, right? If you've attended those, you know that a large part of the majority of the service is focused on uh, prayer requests, praying for various ministries in the church. Uh, we thank God for his grace in people's, of, uh, people's lives. We highlight evidences of grace in their lives. We pray for those who are soon to be married. We pray for those who are in extenuating circumstances. We pray for ministries within the church, uh, the majority of which you're probably not going to be directly involved with. You can't be. There's, there's too many. Um, but this praying for others, this other-oriented prayer draws us closer together as we learn more about each other and as we see the work done by the Holy Spirit in various ways. So you'll hear our pastors often describe the Sunday evening service as our family time. And one of the main reasons for this uh, description is that we have this time of united prayer together. Uh, on a personal note, when my family and I moved uh, to Fayetteville about three years ago and, and, uh, and joined UBC, the Sunday evening services were the times I looked forward to the, to the most as just kind of, you know, being united with the body of Christ and the spiritual family. Um, so just by way of encouragement, if, if you feel on the fringes uh, at UBC or maybe a little disconnected, let me encourage you 
to prioritize attending and participating in the Sunday evening services. I think you'll find yourself blessed in this regard by doing so. Okay. Um, another idea with regards to cultivating unity through prayer um, is that of making our request, our prayer request, uh, known to one another. Okay. So maybe you can think of, of prayer requests or testimonies of God's grace in your life that you could share uh, with members in the congregation that, can, that this way can, can work to draw us together and help us as a body to marvel at the power and mercy of God. Um, thinking about you know, asking for prayer uh, as a service to the congregation might, might make you feel a little awkward. We tend to be private people who think that sharing our prayer requests with others becomes a burden uh, to them, but honestly, I think often that's pride on our own part of wa- not wanting to to show our own our needs, um, and it's certainly not how the Bible views things. So there's this there's this great passage if you want to turn to Second Corinthians, uh, chapter one. Second Corinthians chapter one, picking up in verse eight. Paul writes, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That last verse is right on point. That many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Was it a burden on these believers to pray for Paul? Absolutely not. It was a blessing for them to lift him up and then share in the joy of God's continual deliverance of him. What if Paul had decided that his problems weren't worth bothering the church with? We wouldn't have this testimony here in 2 Corinthians. So we should thank God that Paul uh, did not uh, withdraw and hold back, and then we should follow his example uh, in making known our prayer requests to one another. So think about how you can share your needs with others so that we may be drawn together as believers and encouraged by God's work in our lives? Are you struggling uh, in your faith? Are you struggling with contentment in your job? Are you struggling in your marriage? Are you struggling to share your faith boldly? Allow others to bring you before our Lord in prayer. It is a privilege for them to do so. Okay, the fourth uh, thing to consider about corporate prayer is kind of how we talked about expositional preaching in the sense that it is instructive Corporate prayer teaches us how to pray. So I wonder, if, I wonder if you've ever noticed that our Sunday morning services follow the same liturgy week by week, particularly with regards to prayer. So our times in corporate prayer um, are meant to be instructive in this way by being repetitive. We, we either pray a prayer of confession one week or a prayer of praise the next week. Then one of the elders leads us in a pastoral prayer of petition. And so it's, it's a good discipline uh, for us to focus on praying these prayers solely focused on praise or solely focused on confession. For example, our prayers of praise uh, teach us what it means just to focus our gaze on the beauty and majesty of God to delight in Him. Um, 
In a similar fashion, confession, prayers of confession can be uncomfortable, uh, especially if they're sincere. And so we can often fail to linger there, uh, you know, long enough at times. So when we rushed past, uh, rush past confession, we lose the opportunity to really look inwardly and explore the, the desires and motives of our heart um, and acknowledge the lack of conformity to God's will there. So having an intentional time of prayer to confess sin makes the assurance of pardon that follows from the passage of Scripture that we read afterwards or the responding song that we sing that much more joyful. And we can learn from the prayers of petition um, uh, and, and thanks as well. So in the prayer of petition, if you listen week in, week out, uh, one of our elders will pray for much more than just our own needs, right? You'll hear him pray for, for our government, for the persecuted church, for evangelism, for missions, uh, for another local church in the area and for members of our own body and then often finishes the prayer by praying for the preacher and for the sermon that we're about to hear. And so if you're, if you're paying attention and following closely as we're led in prayer uh, this week, I hope that it begins to shape your own prayer life and can be instructive in that way. So corporate prayer teaches us how to pray. Okay, so the, other, the last as- aspect here before we end our time together is to think about how we can pray maybe individually for our church, okay? And I hope that, that these things will become routine in our daily lives and then we will see evidences of, of God's grace as we pray for these things and God answers uh, our prayers. So the first thing is to pray for the preacher. Pray for your preacher. So think of Paul writing to the Ephesians. Um, in Ephesians 6, Paul writes, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. And then he repeats it again. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So, you know, it may be so that our preachers are not facing persecution now, but there is always the ever-present fear of pleasing man. So we should pray for our preacher each week that he would fear no man, but fear God alone as he enters the pulpit. The second way that you can pray for the church is to pray through the members directory, okay? Now, I know you've heard this said before, but the members directory is a wonderful blessing to you, okay, and to the church. So uh, I would go so far as to say that besides your Bible, this is probably the most important document you can use in your daily devotions. And it may involve praying for a lot of people that you don't know, but the good news is the more you pray through their pictures, the quicker you'll get to know them, right? So the members directory is not primarily a UBC phone book. It is a prayer guide, so use it as such. It's a blessing to you and other members, and it is wonderfully honoring to God when you crack open that or look on your phone and pull up the, the members prayer guide and the members directory and pray through that. So pray for the members individually. The third thing that we can do is to pray for our church as a whole. So uh, our church culture, right, the habits, expectations, and and behaviors that come to characterize us um, as a church is what makes up our culture. And we should be praying for that, right? Um, So on the third page of your prayer guide, just inside the basically the first page, second page, literally the third page of your prayer, prayer guide, you may have noticed that there is a list of things to pray for. And this is something that we can pray for uh, on a whole for the church. So we can pray for our witness of unity and diversity. We can pray for our daily lives this week at work and at home, that we would do what is good, honor God, and commend the gospel. That we would see relationships in the local church as part of what it means to be a Christian. 
that we could understand the need to make our relationships at church transparent, to be willing to tell embarrassing things about ourselves and ask awkward questions as needed, that we would expect conversations with our church members to be deep and often theological in nature, that we would think it important to encourage each other with Scripture, that we would see part of being a Christian as being a provider and not primarily a consumer, that we would not see service in the local church as being primarily about meeting our own felt needs by utilizing our giftedness, but about bringing God glory, that we would see it as unusual when the local church isn't the focal point of much of our energy and ambition, that we would see it as unusual when a member's life seems to keep church on the periphery, that we would see hospitality as an important part of being a Christian. So those are some things that we should be praying for as a whole for our church. Okay? Maybe setting aside Saturday evenings or Sunday mornings before corporate worship to pray through that guide on behalf of the church, or maybe even as you're sitting in the pew as you transition from here to the, um, what does Brad like to call it, the main hall? Yeah, the main hall. Those would be some good, good times to implement that prayer, okay? So how do we expect, just to wrap up here, how do we expect the supernatural work of unity to mark University Baptist Church? Well, we celebrate the ordinary, the ordinary means of preaching God's word, and we pray corporately and individually. Those are the ways that God naturally accomplishes the supernatural. Any questions, comments? We've got plenty of time. I was... A little quick. Okay. Let let me. You, we're going to pray. I, I want to close in prayer. So let's get. Let's do that. Let's see. If, let me hear Colby's thought on the text, and we'll get back to that, Amber. That's thank you, though. Any other thoughts or questions? Mm-hmm. That's right. We need to pray for contentment in the ordinary means of grace. I think we, some of it is probably just the default position, but we, we tend to look for those experiences, especially in the Christian life, right? I mean, you have the church camp experience or the Disciple Now weekend or the big revival or whatever, but the primary means that God changes his people is like that river just washing over that rock and just smoothing off those hard edges day after day, year after year.
<laughs> right. And yet, at the same time, I think that's a, we should never shorten that mm -hmm. because it's a witness of our church to God to talk to God about all kinds of things. Right. Mm -hmm. for me to remember and kind of keep in my head I feel like a lot of times it's too great to you know to yeah. that that Amen yeah the brother was just th thanking God for the length of our pastoral prayers I can Thanks, Joe. Anybody else? Mm -hmm. And what kind of what's the normal rhythm of that? Or was that just maybe for people who are unsure about coming or what it looks like just to kind of set them in? Close in prayer. Amber, your other prayer request. Okay. 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 Thank you. Okay. Wrist. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you uh, that you have not left us in the dark, um, nor have you left us to our own devices to figure out how to create supernatural unity in the church that glorifies you. Um, but you are a God of the details, and you have laid out um, the importance of faithful preaching of your word to shape and to unify your people. You have given us and instructed us in prayer uh, as our Lord taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Uh, so, Lord, I do pray that these things uh, would mark University Baptist Church uh, for the edification of your people and for, um, for the glory of your name in Fayetteville and, uh, Lord, among, among non-Christians in this area as well. 
So we thank you for uh, your teaching. We thank you for um, the prayers that are offered up ev- even as we move into corporate worship. Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of these things and that they would become even more sweet to us. As Wes mentioned, that we would become content and not look uh, for, for something extra, Lord, but that we would be content with the week in and week out faithful preaching and prayers of, uh, of your people. We do pray for Amber's wrist and for the arthritis there. And Lord, we ask that you would... Um, help the medication to become effective or find some other means to, to relieve her, her pain and discomfort in there so that she would have full function of that. Lord, I praise, praise you for each person for ordaining us to be here uh, to hear this word, and I pray that it would, Lord, that it would affect, uh, uh, affect us and affect our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.